This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Shout out to everyone out there. Thanks for listening again today on this chilly Thursday. Hopefully this is one of the last Sub-Zero Daily Deliveries of 2022. But uh, here we are right now. Lots to talk about as we often do. I'm going to get to um, Chris Hine in just a little bit here. Timberwolves beat writer will join me talk about the Second half, or really, you know, last 23 games post-All-Star break for the Timberwolves. Kind of what's at stake, what we should be watching for, and, you know, what uh, how how we will ultimately define this season. Still, that story still yet to unfold, but a lot can happen in these final 23 games to change or maintain perceptions after a, you know, what, what I would consider a surprisingly good uh, first 59 games of this season. They have overachieved relative to my expectations, at least, and I believe of external expectations as well. Got to get to uh, a, another Aaron Rodgers nugget um, that, uh, that apparently they never said they were going to trade him. That's what uh, Packers GM Brian Gutekunst said recently. Interesting remarks there. Wonder how that will impact the relationship um, got to get to a Troy Aikman nugget that I thought was interesting and a Major League Baseball update as well. But first, what did I miss? Kind of the two big stories percolating in my mind and in uh, Twin Cities media on Wednesday. One was Gophers Badgers basketball, men's basketball on Wednesday night. And the other was the kind of evolving uh, controversy is the wrong word, but the dilemma the Wild is facing now with two goaltenders rotating time, more of an even split lately, and the reasons behind that and what uh, what that has meant for both goalies. Some interesting comments from Dean Evison, some stand-up comments from Cam Talbot on Wednesday that I want to play for you. But I want to get to the Gopher-Badgers game first, if I could. An entertaining Game largely on Wednesday. Gophers come up just short, 68-67. Now, it wasn't like a down-to-the-last-shot kind of game. Gophers made a three with about one second left to make that final score, you know, look extra tight. But it was a close game, back and forth the whole way. Gophers made a lot of good plays the first half. Jamison Battle was essentially unstoppable, going down the lane, dunking, making his long jump shots, things like that. And then, you know, Wisconsin kind of clamped down on that a little bit, but that left other people open as well. So it was a, you know, the game plan was 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 a good one from, from the Gophers. You could see the talent deficit a lot of times, but they also were, you know, throwing some different defensive looks at the Badgers, threw a zone at them in the first half that gave them some trouble. And really were able to hang with a team that is very good. Obviously, now this game was at Williams Arena, so you have the home court, you have the rival, you have some emotions there, and you could tell the emotions were flowing in that game in a positive way, maybe a little bit more positive than in the handshake line of Wisconsin's previous game. Um, so while there are no moral victories, especially in you know rivalry, border battle type games, you can see... You can kind of see the seeds that are being planted still with this Ben Johnson team. You know, the, this group that he's taken of, you know, largely mid-major transfers, guys who are probably only going to be here for one year aside from Jamison Battle, and, you know, gotten them to play hard, gotten to install his systems, gotten to 
kind of show what he can do in terms of in-game adjustments, out-of-timeout plays, which I've been impressed with, things like that. So even though this year maybe hasn't had, you know, certainly hasn't had the Big Ten finish that you had hoped for after that way better-than-expected non-conference season, um, you can still see the pieces falling into place here under Ben Johnson, and that's probably the, the biggest takeaway you're going to get from this season. One, that Ben Johnson looks like he can coach in multiple ways um, and has a good staff to help him with that as well. And two, that Jamison Battle, who's going to be here for a while longer still, uh, looks like a player, looks like a guy who you want on this team. Um, maybe not a guy that on a great team has to carry you, but certainly a good piece on a good team and if they can build some more around that as the years go on they should be coming out on the winning end of this rivalry sooner rather than later let's hear a little bit from Jamison Battle by the way from that game just kind of what he thought were you know, just the kind of the, the the reason they came up short and some motivation for the rest of this season we got to go out there and just make make winning plays I think we did that tonight but I think there were a couple plays where we missed on those like EJ said, maybe it was a long rebound, maybe it was uh, us not getting a stop. So I think it, it, it has to do with that. And I think uh, in the end, these last, last three, four games, we're going to see us make those winning plays. I think that's just going to be a change in our head and a change in our mentality. We're going to go out there and be the greatest team on the block. Let's transition now to the wild. I don't want to belabor this point because I spent a good portion of the early part of Wednesday show kind of talking about my thoughts on the goalie situation. I've been a big Kakinen guy for a while now, going back to you know two, three years ago when Dubnik was struggling, and I was like, this this guy down in the minors who looks like he's got pretty good numbers, maybe give him a chance. And you know, finally looks like Kakinen is getting that chance more regularly this year. And look, there's certainly some recency bias coming into play here. But in this snapshot of time, right now as we speak, Capital Kakinen, who's technically still a rookie, even though he played a fair amount last year, is outplaying Cam Talbot uh, over the balance of this season. Talbot, the veteran. Kakinen has a better goals against average. He has a better save percentage. He's got a better quality start percentage. Quality starts defined as a start where you have better than the league average save percentage or at least a save percentage of 88.5 in a game where you face 20 shots or fewer. Kakinen's delivered a quality start in like 70% of his starts. He's avoided the real meltdown games by and large this season. Um, his record is better. I mean, he's he's not played as much as Talbot, but recently it has changed to the point that, you know, Kakinen has been the better goalie, I think, certainly lately, and you know, you can make the argument that he's been the better goalie over the balance of the season. Maybe some of his you know, maybe he doesn't get the bigger games. Maybe Talbot has played a heavier workload. So I think both of them have been effective uh, during large stretches of the season, and they're going to need both of them over the course of the year, like we've talked about, because they have so many games coming up. But interesting that Dean Evason is going to more of a goalie rotation, but also interesting how much he defended Cam Talbot in uh, in his Wednesday availability, um, talking about how, you know, that that game against Ottawa where they lost 4-3 he you know he certainly would have loved to see Talbot make more saves but especially on that first goal had a very interesting quote here is Dean Evison talking about that it's certainly not on on our goalie on Cam for sure i mean that 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 first goal maybe you could say okay but when a when a guy like Shabbat walks right down the gut with absolutely nobody in front of him that's not Cam's fault 
that's uh, that's somebody <laughs> that's somebody in our defensive zone coverage effed up, and um, you can go look at the tape to find out who. But it's 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 a mistake we need to uh, you know rectify. And yeah, sure, would we like you know the goaltenders to make a save when we mess up? Sure, but it, it doesn't always happen that way. So um, there's there's no question that we don't put it on our goaltender. It feels like he was like one more question about goalies away from going full Jerry Burns rant there. Uh, that's not Schnelker's fault territory. That's not Cam's fault kind of stuff. Um, and he also wanted us to go look at the tape of that play. I did go look at the tape of that play. Don't know exactly who's supposed to be where on every play, but uh, the from the naked eye, it looks like the problem in coverage uh, with someone whose name rhymes with Shmevin Shmiala. Not to, not again, I don't know exactly who's supposed to be where, but he did not look like he was in the right place or having the right defensive zone responsibilities. Everybody was kind of chasing the puck, left someone just wide open to roll right down the middle of the, you know, of the ice and you know, into that prime territory where he scored on Talbot. So, you know, it's it's interesting to to note kind of what Evison thinks about all this. It's also interesting to note what Cam Talbot thinks of all this. So let's hear from Cam Talbot as well. It's always yeah, it's always frustrating when you know everyone's a competitor. You want the net. I, that's how I've been my entire career. And um, you know when you when you're not playing, you um, you can do one of two things. You can sit there and sulk, or you can go out there and work hard and be ready for your next start. So that's always been my mentality, and that's how I'm going to continue to approach things. And on the subject of goalie rotation, Kakinen will get the start tonight against Toronto. And it's interesting because this was a little two-game trip. If you're going to split the goalies, you really could have split them either way. Talbot played against the easier opponent. Let's face it, Ottawa's a, a, a much lesser team than Toronto is. Toronto, a, a quality team in the East, pretty much on par with the Wild, and that's the start that Kakanen gets. So are we witnessing a changing of the guard a little bit, or is this just kind of one of those ebbs and flows in the course of a season? That is going to be the question to watch going forward. What to watch tonight, though, is Capo Kakanen in the net, and if he has another good game tonight, uh, this might go from a goaltender dilemma into a full-blown goalie controversy. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I'd like to welcome back onto Daily Delivery, Chris Hine, of course, covers the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune had a little bit of a break, although I don't know how much of downtime you got, Chris, but we're coming off the all-star break. Wolves haven't played in about a week, but back at it Thursday night against Memphis. Um, some interesting games right out of the break. Maybe we can start kind of micro with uh, with Memphis and you know Philadelphia coming coming up right on the heels of that. That could be the debut of James Harden in Philadelphia. We'll see. Um, but you know, from your perspective, Chris, um, you know it, it's gonna it's gonna be a, an interesting final twenty three games, and then you know, kind of a a good early, you know, second half, second uh, second third um, <laughs> measuring stick yeah, game against against Memphis. Uh, you know, a team that's third, overachieved, third, probably the only team that's overachieved more than Minnesota this year in terms of you know relative expectations uh, based on what their preseason win totals might have looked like. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd throw Cleveland into that mix as well. Um, but definitely the Wolves and Memphis are in that mix. Um, I, I think uh, I, I love these matchups with the Wolves and Memphis. It's been the Wolves blew them out once this year. The two games in Memphis were really good, really competitive games. Um, you know, uh, it's always fun to see John Morant in person. He reminds me of like pre ACL tear Derrick Rose. <laughs> in, yeah, that's in, a good a lot comparison. Of yeah. Um, and along those lines, I worry about John Morant you know, and his health long term because of that, because he can play so, so violently at times uh, with the way he moves. Um, but it's it's a joy to watch him play. They've been they've been good matchups. Uh, Memphis is a fun team to watch. And yeah, it's it, these two games are about as good as it gets for for a, a home back to back here. And it could be, you know, Memphis, for as good as Memphis is, this does seem like a decent matchup for the Wolves based on just, you know, their personnel and based on what we've seen for the three games this season, even going back a little further than that. This, you know, and this has the potential to, you know, if things break a certain way, if they break in the Wolves' favor, which would probably mean them getting up to that number six seed, which is a, a tall ask, but not out of the question. This is a potential playoff uh, playoff matchup if, if they wind up as the number six and the number three seeds in the West, respectively. But maybe we can start with the idea of, is that six seed really realistic? It's, it's within reach, but I if I was betting, I would bet against it happening. Um, and not just because the Wolves are starting behind in the standings with 23 games left here uh, to me the wolves i just don't think they've they've quite graduated to that class of team ahead of them like denver with jokic who just refuses to let denver slip past a certain point and in dallas with luca like dallas before the break had a had a win against Miami that, you know, <laughs> it, it looked like it would probably be a loss on paper, but Dallas goes into Miami and pulls it out. Meanwhile, the Wolves are at home against Toronto and Fred Van Vliet is out for Toronto and the Wolves can't come up with a win in that game at home. That to me is, is a bit of a snapshot of, of where the Wolves are relative to these teams that are ahead of them. I just, I just don't think they, they have quite what it takes to pass one of these teams that's ahead of them right now. It, it, they, they, there's been a lot of good things right now um, with this team, and they've done a lot of good things. But that right there was was a bit of a snapshot and a bit of a tell to me. And Patrick Beverly even said so after the game that that loss really seemed to bother him. Um, so they got to clean up issues like that and, and win games like that. That you know, if you want to be a top six team, top five team, you got to, you got to have those games. Yeah. I think that's a good point. That Toronto game felt like that to me as well at the time. And I know that they had come off a, you know, a game against Charlotte where they kind of pulled a victory out of the, out of the jaws of defeat. And, you know, so that was a good example of finding some resolve, but you got to do it every night or at least close to every night. And I think that consistency piece or that kind of, you know, willing to kind of grind through a game. You know, Toronto, um, even without Van Vliet's got some skill, but they are always going to play tough. They're going to play smart. And a team like that can frustrate you and wear you down. And that was a game that kind of, that was a kind of a grinding game that, that you're going to experience in these last 23, I would imagine, especially against teams that are in playoff contention. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, as with any part of the schedule, the schedule goes and ebbs and flows after this 
tough stretch here next week, especially later in the week when they play Oklahoma City and then Portland. Uh, you got some winnable games on the schedule there. Um, but yeah, this that that's what you that's what we mean. It's like you need to be consistent in these in these kind of games. You need to win those grind out games at home when you might not be feeling a hundred percent. That's what it takes to be a, a playoff team and a top tier team in the NBA, um, and not just be content with getting the seven or the eight seed or wherever the Wolves may end up finishing this season. And that kind of, you know, brings me to this, you know, it, it, we've acknowledged that the six is in play if they have a good final 23 games, and maybe one of those other teams, you know, falters a little bit, but you know, if they find, if they wind up as the seven or the eight, which I think are probably the two most likely scenarios they're they're gonna have, you know, they're almost hurt by the, the one through 10 this year, because they're going to have to play probably the Lakers or the Clippers in, in yep. the playing round. I mean, that's not a, that's no picnic right there. I mean, those are not the teams you would want to see in the nine or 10 spot or, you know, whoever they're going to face, you know, in those with potentially one or two games to, to actually get into the top eight in the actual playoff round. Yeah. I, if I, again, if I was to handicap it, I would say that, if, if the season were to, if I was predicting predict the end of the season, the Wolves and the Clippers would probably be playing each other in the seven, eight game in some fashion. That would be my, my, my prediction there. And then the loser of that ends up playing the Lakers for that final playoff spot would be my, would be, I think the Lakers probably end up in that nine slot. Um, and they beat whoever ends up in 10, whether it's Portland or New Orleans. Um, and then they play the loser of the Clippers and Wolves. And, you know, if the Clippers were to get Paul George back, that team beat the Wolves three times this season <laughs> when Paul George was playing. Um, the Lakers have one of the greatest basketball players of all time in a one game scenario against you. So, you know, even though you'd have two cracks at it in that in that sense, it's still a very precarious position uh, to be in to, 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 if you only get the seven seed or the eight seed. So there is real incentive for them to get up to that six seed because you don't you want to avoid those one game scenarios as much as possible, for sure. To that end, um, that we are talking about possible playoff scenarios is a difference from most of the last 15 to 17 years not talking about the lottery at this time of year we're talking about you know can they can they secure this kind of seed or that kind of seed and a lot of that has to do you know with the fact that i think they've overachieved a little bit to get to this point but i'd be curious to know like relative to expectations you had coming into the season is 31 and 28 at the all-star break better than you thought they would be uh, maybe a little better. Um, I, I predicted them to be a, a play-in team before the season started. I predicted them to get the 10 seed. Um, that's where I had them finishing. So they have exceeded my expectations if they end up in the 7-8 range here. Um, I, I think it, it's interesting. So let's play it out here. If they If they get to the play-in and they don't make the playoffs, do you consider that a success? Like if they, if they flame out in the play-in round? I th- I consider I don't know if I consider it a success. I would still consider it a step forward. How about that? It, it's a yeah. It would it would feel like there was you left something on the table, especially if you were a seven or eight and had two cracks at it and couldn't get it done. I mean, you you would learn something. Regardless, it would be 
much better than it's been for almost any other season in recent memory. So it would be progress. I don't know if you would call it success. I think you would call it um, what you set out to do this season at the start. And maybe you've, we've adjusted our expectations, I think um, because they've been maybe better than I thought they'd be by, you know, a few games. And, you know, we, the West has been a little bit worse overall than I thought it would be. So we've probably, we've probably recalibrated to the point where we think, getting into that top eight now feels like what would be success to me. Yeah. I, I, th- I think a successful season is a, is an actual playoff appearance. Yes. To me. I, yes. I think it, yeah, I, I definitely think it would feel like a, a bit of a letdown if they make the play in and then don't actually play a first round playoff series. I think that's where we're at right now. I think before the season, the goal was, Oh, just get in the play in mix and see what happens. Now I think this team is, is good enough and has the potential uh, to, get into a first round playoff series and you know we'll see you see what the matchup is and whatnot from there but i do think the expectations and the disappointment would would have changed just given what we've seen from this team this season i think that's true and i think you know the players are you know largely the ones that are fueling this we've seen steps forward i think this year for sure from carl anthony towns we've seen D'Angelo Russell have an impact uh, beyond maybe what we imagined or maybe what, you know, about in line with what they hoped, I guess. But, you know, a a large part of the credit, I think this year has to go to head coach Chris Finch. And I believe he's right around the one year anniversary of when he started in the middle of last season right now. And, you know, they've had a much greater measure of success and more stability uh, also with, with him in charge. What, you know, as you think about his first year, um, you know, what have we learned about Chris Finch, the head coach and the, and the success he's had so far? One of the biggest things I think you hear a lot of from, from players is he holds everybody accountable. He's not afraid to hold everybody accountable. And that means whether it's towns or, or Edwards or Russell to, to, you know, the, the guys towards the end of the bench, it's, you know, but at the same time, he's not, uh, some, you know, taskmaster that that doesn't you know only cares about basketball or only you know is only there to, to scream and holler and yell he, he 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 walks kind of both lines of positive reinforcement and and getting on guys when uh when he has to so i i think he's done a good job of, of balancing that you know in that way players know that you're not just there to to scream to scream and holler and and that you actually do care about them as people uh, on the court off the court he's been f- direct and honest with with players we've heard that from people like Jalen Noel Torian Prince uh and and Patrick Beverly in terms of how good of a communicator uh he's been so i think those are the big things that we've learned is just his his demeanor his approach he's a very even keeled guy he doesn't get too high or too low. Um, you know, he takes losses hard, just like just like anybody does. Um, but he doesn't seem to let that affect, you know, roll over from one day to the next, which is important in the NBA. And the team, I think, as a, as a whole, uh, kind of takes the lead from that. I, the only gripe I have with the kind of what he's maybe done this year is for, for as good as the defense seemed to be in the first, you know, six weeks, you know, actually really the whole, you know, calendar year 2021, um, it seems like they, they've changed some things um, on defense. And, and Dane, Moore got, Dane Moore and I got into this a little bit on the podcast last week, just kind of talking about maybe you need to be a little bit more, 
multiple. When you get to the playoffs, you're kind of thinking forward, but it seemed like they had a style that was working, this kind of scrambling, chasing guys off the line. Everybody's just kind of, you know, going hundred percent all the time and, you know, chasing, chasing the guy with the ball and making, making, making life hard. Maybe that's not sustainable, but it seemed like it was working and that they've gone away from that. Why explain that to me if you can. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it is it really is with an eye towards a postseason, right? It, it is that that is the explanation is trying to just vary your coverages, vary the looks, confuse the offense, you know, be able to go back and forth, um, not just with a singular game plan, but within a game itself. You know, when you when you want to switch up styles, whether you're you're switching, you're playing more of a high wall or maybe you want to go more into a drop coverage at certain against certain matchups. So I think it's just that versatility of, of being able to adapt on the fly, trying to make yourself a, a tougher opponent to, to match up with when you, when you can play multiple defensive coverages um, because in a playoff series, teams always counter coaches make adjustments. And if you're just kind of stuck playing the same defensive system they're going to scheme around it and figure you out eventually and you know it's 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 starting to try to lay the groundwork not just for now but also for you know maybe past this season where, where some of these guys are getting some of this uh this knowledge now getting it into their dna so that you know maybe next season uh they hit the ground running with some of this stuff I get that i also think there's years of evidence suggesting that they're not good at drop coverage and yes, they shouldn't yes, do it is. because they're not good at it. <laughs> no, no, there's there's plenty of bottom third defensive ratings in the last few years to let you know just how bad uh, how bad the drop coverage has worked out for them. But that's why you maybe you just try to deploy it against certain matchups where you think it might actually work as opposed to, you know, just having one thing be your main thing and that's it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, final thought for you. Uh, what, what beyond just, you know, outcomes what are you looking to see in these final 23 games what do you what are what are some of the most important things you want to see from this team whether it's individually or as a collective one of the things that i'm going to be really intrigued by especially as as the season tightens up the games really start to matter more for seeding purposes and then obviously into the play in or and or playoffs is just how does anthony edwards respond to this because we see all the time you saw it with with Cat in the in the Houston playoff series a few years back. Sometimes young stars and their in their first kind of taste of of games really mattering, it, it, teams game plan for them differently or, or do things to slow them down. And, and how do they how do they adjust to that? And I think this is going to be Edwards's first real test of you know and and uh, for some of these guys on the team as well of basketball that really matters and, and how do they respond to that? How do they up their games, adjust their games, counter what, what teams are trying to do to them? Um, you know, as we, we've seen throughout the season, teams have paid more and more attention to, to Edwards and there have been nights he struggled with it. There, there are nights he struggled with different defensive coverages. He's, he's tried to play through some, some injuries as well. Um, but, you know, he's not immune to, to throwing up a, a clunker here and there. Um, and so how does he how does he respond during these kind of pressure situations? I think I think he's very confident he's built for it. It's just for this year. How is he how is he going to to, to handle that? 
Yeah, that's one of the bigger ones I'm watching too because it does feel like he, I don't know if he hit a little bit of a wall or just had a kind of a stretch of games where they were kind of mad. There was the there was the really good one sprinkled in there in the midst of all of them, but um, you know certainly have seen better stretches from Anthony Edwards. Maybe the you know a week of not playing at least NBA games will kind of recharge him. But that's a that is certainly a big one coming out of the break because they you know as good as Cats been this year, they need. Anthony Edwards, if this is going to go anywhere at any point. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and that's one reason why you want to at least try to get into a, a playoff series here is get these guys that experience because there's nothing like that, uh, nothing like that experience that you can replicate. Absolutely. Well, there'll be, you know, some good early tests, like we said, Memphis and Philadelphia right out of the shoot, two teams that have you know, some intrigue in general. We'll be watching those and following Chris Hines coverage, Star Tribune, startribune.com. Chris, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Mike. As Chris alluded to, interesting schedule for the Wolves coming out of the break. Not easy at all in their first four against the Grizzlies, against the 76ers, and those are back-to-backs. Then it will go to play these surprising Cavaliers, then hosting Golden State. The next night after that, also a back-to-back. But then the next five after that came Thunder, Blazers, Blazers, Thunder, Magic, a chance to get well again. So these first four will be a good kind of litmus test to what kind of second half this is going to be. So it's going to be a you know a nice story where they, they kind of plop into the, one of those play-in spots or can they make a real run at that number six seed. I think we'll get some answers pretty quick here and uh, it should be fun like i told chris fun to talk about playoff basketball and not ping pong balls for a change let's do a rapid fire cooler with three different subjects really quick that uh, that i wanted to get to one troy aikman sounds like he is going to leave fox and head to monday night football to be the lead analyst at espn interesting move there that report coming from the New York Post. So that would be a, a pretty big shakeup in an already kind of twisty, turny um, broadcast situation that's happening right now with Al Michaels being out at uh, at NBC and, uh, you know, kind of going from there with a lot of different uh, different names perhaps moving around. So that one is a – that's an interesting one to be sure to, to watch for. That's, you know, a, a, a pretty big move, one of the top guys in this game. So – Watch for that next year. Major League Baseball has set a deadline of Monday. If there's no deal done by Monday, they are saying that there will be regular season games missed. Now, you can always move that target. You can always shift things, and that's probably a negotiation ploy. But we're getting into the territory now with these negotiations between the players and the owners that's not just you know, spring training or it's not just you know a hypothetical anymore. We're, taught, we're getting into the territory where if they don't get closer together soon, you are going to miss games this year. That's lost revenue for players. That's you know bad news for fans, things like that. Uh, you know, after two seasons where you know there was all sorts of interruptions, pauses, strangeness, things like that, especially 2020, that would be an awful look for baseball. So hopefully they can figure that out sooner rather than later. And finally, Interesting quote coming out of Green Bay um, regarding Aaron Rodgers, and I don't keep to me don't keep to don't mean to keep making this the Aaron Rodgers podcast, but Brian Gutekunst, their general manager, addressed the media on Wednesday, was asked uh, if asked if uh, there was an agreement that they would trade Rodgers if he wanted to be traded after the 2021 season. Said Gutekunst said. 
That was not something I told him. Um, and Gutekunstowski has full control over the roster. Again, I think the whole conversation with Aaron last season before he came back was that regardless, at the end of this past season, that we would sit down as a group, we would work it out one way or another. It's interesting because all along we have operated under the assumption that Rodgers kind of has an agreement that if he doesn't want to be there, they will facilitate a trade. Maybe facilitate is less than a promise, um, but interesting if this is kind of part of the back and forth here. Rodgers, of course, supposed to decide soon if he wants to return to Green Bay for another season or if he would like to do something else. So just another wrinkle in that story and an interesting one at that. That will do it for today's Daily Delivery. Thank you so much for listening. Adrian Heath, Minnesota United manager, will be on Friday's show to help me set up the 2022 season, which begins for the Loons on Saturday in Philadelphia. Great stuff, as always, from Adrian Heath. Thanks again for joining me here today. I'll be back at it again on Friday.